From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Are You Not Entertained? This week, a chance for Roger and I to discuss our goals and own goals. So without the other half of this, it would be just me talking to myself, which would be no fun for anybody, including me. So welcome, Roger Mitchell. Hi, mate. Hi, hi. how are you? I know you've had a difficult week. I am good. Yes, I'm good. I'm good. All good down here in Sydney, apart from someone who's decided to start banging outside the window. So I can't hear anything. Any listeners can hear that. I know you can't. Hopefully no one else can, but if they can, I apologise for the noise. There's absolutely nothing I can do about it, unfortunately. <laughs> I can hear him a wee bit now. Anyway, no, 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 I heard you got um, I heard you got COVID and it knocked you out for two or three days, but you're still with us, Grant. That's the main thing. Still with us. Uh, I did have a brush with the vid, finally. Uh, it caught up with me um, after all my attempts to outrun it around the world. It finally caught up with me, and uh, uh, it's not fun, but... Um, yeah, it was fine. It's fine. I've, I've definitely felt worse in my life, Roger. I've got to be honest with you. Most of those, unfortunately, after the final whistle blew at Craven Cottage, but <laughs> still, what can you do? Anyway, Excellent. mate, listen, goal on goal is the topic du jour. So yes. um, I am going to let you go first, as always. What's, uh, what have you got for me? Um, well, uh, let me start with this one. I, I spent the week in New York uh, at one of these conferences. Um, and it was a good conference, and I'd like to say, you know, sports pro guys, they put on a good, a, a good show. Um, although there's a couple of things that, that I wanted to to, to talk to a, a little bit about this. The first one, um, I, I, I think I want to have a shout out for our, our podcast uh, colleagues. Um, I think, and this is how I read it, I just think it's quite interesting. This is a, a, a kind of quasi goal. I think in this part of the, the pond in, in UK... Um, the competition on the podcasting side has raised uh, the game of everybody. Um, I think, you know, uh, leaders, Gillis, um, Sports Pro themselves, um, us, uh, I, I think we've really kicked the, the, all of us the game on and we've all kind of like, um, pushed each other to get better. Why am I saying this? Because um, all these conferences, when you go there, a big part of what they do is um, kind of like round tables and chats on the stage. Um, and this one was obviously in America and um, it just wasn't, just wasn't good. Grant, you know, it, it, it just, it wasn't of the level and insight and, and perspective that I think we we have developed over here and as i say this isn't a thing about sports pro i think their their own panels were very good um nick meacham isn't right in the middle of what i call the podcast wars in the uk in europe that we're part of and does a great job but i found a lot of the guests especially american guests that were there and speakers and everything like that they were just off the pace um, I'll, I'll give you an example um there was a session with um, one of the big, big media, sports media companies, uh, one of the very traditional ones that's now uh, moved very strongly into um, the, the, the plus world of direct-to-consumer. 
um, owned by the Disney Group, so that'll leave it easy to guess. Um, two guys on there, two serious guys, and uh, I'm saying to them, um, I wasn't saying to them, but you know, uh, you get a chance to ask a question and it comes up, and I said, what about piracy? And their phrase was, um, oh yeah, it's like anything, it's a little bit of leakage here, it's like breakage, you're always going to lose a little bit around the outside, it's a little bit of a tax of business. And I, I, I just think that is so, so symptomatic of the of, of where the sports industry is, massively, massively underestimating um, the threat of piracy. I, I actually think it represents a loss of 50% to the, the total addressable market of sport. Um, I think somebody said to me it's 28 billion a year. That's a huge number. And, and when you get the major proponent of um, uh, of the whole kind of like D to C wars, you know, uh, really underplaying it, I just fear sometimes for, you know, the, the and I asked people after Grant, I said, why, why don't they see it? Why don't they see it? And, you know, it's the usual answers. They're, they're close enough to the pension. Um, they've lived their whole career in a certain way. What What is their incentive to open their minds? They'll probably, you know, scramble through for another five years to, to, to get their pension without any major damage. And uh, so, so that's what struck me about this conference. And, um, the reason I wanted to say it was because I genuinely feel that, um, as I said, the, the, the podcast uh, in our part of the world, the sports business podcast, I think we have pushed each other to, to come up with an output that is significantly better than I saw the other side of the pond. Well, I don't know, obviously I wasn't at the conference, but it strikes me that here in the UK, with admittedly a smaller, much smaller domestic audience, you know, in the US, the focus is on scale, right? It's, that's the focus. The focus is on how big can our podcast be. And if you want to create a bigger podcast, you have to broaden the content out, right? You can't take the opportunity to try and create content that you think is aimed at a, a, a small overlap in a Venn diagram somewhere. You have to try and encompass as many of those circles as you can. And look, that that, that means dumbing the content down it means making it more shiny it means making it more short term means making it more clicky you know um and that's just the way it is in the states that's just that's just the way it works over there you know that, that they want scale they want big audiences and so you know it's, look it's exactly why barstool has done what barstool's done look at the kind of content that they put out on social media Roger. that there's your answer right there podcasts not all of them but a lot of them in the u.s are the podcasting equivalent of a barstool tweet. That's that's how it works. Yeah, I, I think that is a great point, and, and I hadn't thought of that. I think that's a great point, but I wasn't really comparing their podcasts. You're right when you say that. So, some notable exceptions like Sportico. Ex, uh, oh, there's plenty, of, there's plenty yeah. of good ones over there, but, but, what but I'm there, saying are, there is, are thousands of them. Yeah, and what I'm saying is, Grant, I, I think the industry has been formed by our podcast and wonderful newsletters that, that a lot of these same people that I mentioned do, that I found the industry wasn't as up to speed in what I saw in New York as I think ours is now, just because we've served um, the, the, the industry so well. I may be wrong, but, you know, you can't have the guy from ESPN and just saying uh, uh, piracy is breakage and leakage. That's fundamentally wrong. 
you know, it's a little bit like what I saw at the, the end of the, the music business when I was there. You know, when they saw it starting, they say, oh, he'll always get us a few. These are only the nerds in their, in, in their, in their, in their basements that download on Napster and, and LimeWire and things like that. Three years later, we didn't have an industry. And, 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 you know, I know it's dead easy to say this is the lesson I learned from this industry and I'm bringing it to that one. But I, I'm hearing all the same messages about piracy and how it's not a big thing. And um, I, I have to say that I, I, I'm particularly concerned um, because kids, kids do not have any concept of paying for content. They just don't. They uh, they enjoy subs just now um, because, uh, you know, we pay for them. Parents pay for them. It's our credit cards. When they have to pay for them on their own, nine times out of ten, they will find a pirate feed. Nine out of ten. And, and, and you know, all the empirical evidence out there that I heard from various people is pointing in that direction. It is a fundamental problem. And, and to hear those guys just talk like that, Man, oh man! Well, so let me let me play devil's advocate. Were they just playing down the risk because they don't want to um, frighten the horses? No, I think they believe. I, I I think they hang out with people of their generation, and people of their generation do pay subs because we we grew up with Sky TV. We understand that you have to pay a sub. And um, I don't believe they get, they've got exposure to, to what uh, kids are looking at and how they behave and how they want to, in the drop of a hat, find a pirate feed. I, I don't think that they're in denial. I don't think they're, they're deliberately saying, oh, I've only got five years to my pension. Those two things influence it a little bit, but I just don't think they're, they've got the concept, which is this grant. We grew up, our generation, the people that were on that stage, in a world where there was very little choice for our entertainment. There was a few channels, uh, a few things that they were able to do, and, and more or less, uh, you know, you, you, your choices were limited. These days, the choices are infinite for kids. And, and not only is the issue piracy, I think that is the biggest symptom of what I'm talking about. What I believe is that I think there is a whole argument that says that sport is no longer the predominant entertainment choice for, for kids under 20. Well, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, well, listen, Roger, let's, let's, uh, let's move on to a little bit of sport then, shall we? And I've got, uh, I've got a goal for you. And that yeah. is the goal that is currently ongoing in um, Pontevedra Beach, Florida, the Players' Championship, which I watched yesterday. They've had nightmares with the weather there, obviously. And um, to, to watch the players yesterday uh i get confused what day it is a because i'm in australia and so the days are different and then b because they were playing the first round and it was the third day or something i was completely confused but i think it was the second round i was watching monstrous wind conditions and it was just so much fun to watch <laughs> these guys just you know having kittens about how difficult it was and some of them justin thomas being the most notable just playing some remarkable golf shots. So we saw everything from, you know, Justin Thomas hit a six iron to 136 yard par three, you know, and he was controlling the flight. And, and you know, she so saw everything from that to um, Zach Johnson shanking his driver in a practice swing and almost killing <laughs> someone. Um, I saw that, yeah. It was, just, it was just fantastic, you know, to watch these guys struggle. 
like 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 we do, right? And, and some, I mean, look, some of it was absurd. Some of the shots to the seventeenth with the wind that were landing in the middle of the green and spinning back into the water, it must have driven them absolutely crazy. But for the spectator, it was nothing but pure enjoyment. I have to say. Yeah, I, I didn't see the footage, but I did see it on Twitter. Uh, I think it started from something that Eddie posted, Eddie Pepperell, you know, who was commenting on John, Justin Thomas and his and oh, the ball, was okay. I didn't see that. And the ball control, he said he's hit three or four in a row now that I have to tell you, as a pro, you cannot believe the control this guy has got on the ball. Uh, and then there was the comments underneath, which which were funny, Grant. You know, there was the people saying, um, you know, so a normal 10 handicapper, that for me, 10 handicap means a good golfer, right? Um, what would they score around here? And everybody was speculating today, 130, 140. Uh, it must have been really bad. Yeah, I, I actually played that course last year, Raj, and uh, it's a brute of a golf course, and I, I played horribly. <laughs> I played horribly, and I'm not a 10 handicapper anymore. But, I mean, it was, it was immensely good fun, but it's a difficult golf course from the forward tees on a calm day like I had it. So to watch it yesterday, you know, chew these guys in the pants, it was just it was just so much fun to watch. As a golfer, you know, it's just the fallibility is actually quite endearing. Oh, of course, of course. That's a good one. Uh, listen, I've, I've got another one, which I'm going to put under the heading goal, but it is a little bit philosophical and I need your help on this one. It, the heading is competition. And and I started a little bit that by saying podcasts have got so good because the competition, I'm a great believer in that. You know that. I believe that, you know, your rival pushes you, otherwise you don't progress. I, I, I believe in co- capitalism. I believe in competition. That's how innovation happens. That's my thing. So um, Drive to Survive starts again. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Have you seen the the, the start of it? I've watched, um, yeah, I've watched uh, a couple of episodes. Well, we might come back to this a couple of times in this episode, but the, the one I saw was the bit that McLaren and, and obviously um, uh, Lando Norris and um, Daniel Ricciardo joining. Yeah. And, you know, it was very funny because they did it well, did it very well about how they would be good mates and they were good outgoing personalities and, you know, it should be great chemistry. And then you see the scenes, you know, when uh, Ricardo arrives and, you know, it's ice from Lando and, like, there's no chill whatsoever, almost, you know, to, to the point of rudeness. Uh, and then, you know, you see them qualifying and all they're caring about is beating each other and, and the despair when the, the other teammate beats them. Because that's the main thing in Formula One. You can maybe explain everything else away. You can't explain away your, your, your teammate, you know, being faster. And I was just thinking, isn't that glorious? You know, and, and I'm in five episodes now to drive to survive it, and it goes through so much that the competition. Uh, we said this in the last series as well. You know how we called them. You know the last great stand of male testosterone. Um, I don't want to put the male thing on it. I, I just want to put the competitive thing on it. And I want to ask you this in the context of what we've picked up the last couple of um, couple of days. And this is serious. This isn't a kind of like it's point scoring thing. You've got Henry Miller, who uh, admits that he's going to have to stop playing because he, he's, he's suicidal. Uh, and, and today, if not today, yesterday, you've got the Japanese tennis player Osaka. I can't remember her first name, sorry. Naomi, um, uh, Naomi Osaka, yeah. Um, who asked during uh, a game, I think it was Indian Wells, where she was getting heckled, because I think everybody gets heckled at Indian Wells. I think that's their thing. Um, she asked for the microphone from the umpire and she makes what I would call a very 2020s uh, complaint that 
and she she was getting stressed and and, and she wasn't handling it and it wasn't cool and you know um mental health uh, and all of that is a thing now grant but i can't square this i've been thinking about it a lot Oh, sure, we're in a different generation now. You, you do have to be much more aware of people's concerns about all these things. And, and we had a lot of this stuff in our generation, whether it was dyslexic people being called uh, slow or all the things that are now clear that we dismissed as just bad luck or, or faults. There's no reasons for them. So I'm all in favour for that. But in terms of sport, I look at Formula One and I look at Naomi Saka and I look at Harry Miller and I can't see how you reconcile this. I can't see how sport works out going forward if there is a place at the elite level for people that have got uh, less than ideal and excellent mental strength. Have you thought about this at all? I haven't, to be honest with you. I mean, look, I, I remember when Naomi Osaka struggled at the US Open or after the US Open. I, I haven't followed the Harry Miller story. I, I did watch that episode of Drive to Survive and... Uh, Look, it's interesting, Roger, right? To get to one of the two seats on a Formula One racing team, you have an extraordinary amount of mental toughness, right? To make it to, I think Naomi Osaka was briefly number one in the world on the, um, on the women's tour, you have to have a degree of mental toughness, right? You, you, you've, you've managed to get through all that, but maybe you reach the level where the, the spotlight is too bright, the scrutiny is too strong, and one would have to imagine that it's not necessarily the competitive aspect of this that stresses these folks out, right? It's not playing in front of 20,000 people on the centre court. It's not playing the number one in the world in a, in a final. It's the scrutiny that comes with it. And that is very much a modern phenomenon. You know, there wasn't this scrutiny back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, where, where the period you're talking about. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's two different things you're talking about here. I think there is the pressure that comes with being a top-level athlete, competing at the very highest level, but it's then once you, you know, zip up your, your bag and you walk out the locker room, that used to stop for the most part, right? You'd, you'd have your interviews, you'd do your press, you'd do whatever you had to do, but you weren't papped walking down the street and every person didn't have a phone in their pocket and wants two minutes of your time. And, and, and that, to me is where the pressure comes in to, to these top-level athletes. That's the pressure that they aren't prepared for, they aren't groomed for, they aren't able to deal with because they separate the the, the sports man or woman in them from the person. And when it, one mm -hmm. bleeds into the other, you've got nowhere to hide, you've got nowhere to run, and the pressure just multiplies. So, um, yeah, I, I think that is the root cause of this and why we're seeing a lot more of it is because the scrutiny is is constant now. That's actually a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Um, I think there may be something in it. Um, but let me ask you then, bouncing off that, uh, let's take the best example of this that, that, that I think is one that's to be debated, Marcus Rashford. If you're right, Grant, then your strategy as a top sports person that can handle the competitive side of it, um, but perhaps doesn't like the intrusion into your life, Surely the last thing you want to do is bring more attention on to you by being the front person for a whole lot of causes that are outside, you know, your narrow job of, you know, being a top class athlete. Um, we've all benefited, school children have benefited from what Marcus Rasford has done. 
But has he shot himself in the foot by bringing uh, onto himself a targeting? Because you know what it's like in the games. You know, it's a while he hasn't been playing now. You know what the fans are saying. You know, get back on the on the training ground and you know spend your time there. Um, has he been advised badly? Look, it's a, it's a good question, Roger. Something very different, right? I, I think this is very different. I think he something what he did during COVID to to try and you know, help those kids get their meals and, and all the stuff that he did. That's not, I don't think, and never struck me anyway as a planned, deliberate, cynical attempt to gain PR. That was me neither, acting, not, not acting at all. For, Right, but that was someone acting from the heart, feeling like I've got a platform. I need, I need to do something about this. So he's done that, and once you go down and that hats road, off. yeah, and, and, and hats off, absolutely hats off. But once you go down that road, at what point do you feel you have the ability to say, okay, I've done my bit, enough now. I'm, I need to step away and concentrate my football. So I don't know if he shot himself in the foot. It's not. It's for the right reasons, right? It's not hubris. It's and not wanting no, to be a no bigger. It's not that. wanting to have it. Yeah. So uh, potentially, potentially, the, the the one feeds on the other. That the the high profile it, it impacts the level of focus they can put into his game. The game suffers. Um, the crowd get on his back, and obviously they're going to point to the high profile stuff and say, "Well, this is the X factor that's changed here. You weren't politically active." Um, when you were playing great and knocking goals in, and then it just feeds on itself. I don't know what the answer is. I don't think Marcus Rashford's been playing great, but he's a young man. I mean, I, I just, I, I think, I think the fact that he's having a few bad months, Rog, I, I don't see why it's the source of um, so much, so much aggravation. Look at, look at Mitrovic, the Fulham striker last year. I right? had a dreadful year. Dreadful year, and yes, yeah, there's a difference. Yeah, there's form a, there's comes a yes, and goes. Yes, 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 right, exactly right. So, so why is that any different with Rashford? Because what what, what I'm saying is to take, just to come on in the back of you the point you said there that they don't like the what you call bleeding uh, into the private uh, into their sporting career. And what I'm saying is sometimes they bring it on themselves then because if you don't like it, keep them separate. Um, uh, and 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 you know I'm not saying he did but, it. Right, so that's in my point. So he didn't do it. He didn't do it to. Bring focus on him and his but, but, but his private might not life. Have he done did it, but, it to bring focus but, onto the kids who weren't been able I'm to not eat. doubting. I'm not doubting the motivation. I'm just saying that the motivation uh, is different from the impact. The fact is, he hasn't kicked a ball since he did that. Grant. Now, um, um, everybody will say, "Well, you know, what are you saying? He shouldn't have done it." Um, I'm not. I'm saying. I'm not going to say anybody shouldn't be generous and um, uh, altruistic and a kind soul. Not at all. I'm just saying that the more and more we have evidence that this younger generation is very fragile about, you know, what's going on 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 the memes and social media and how they've been attacked and heckled. The more you put your head up the parapet, the more chance that is that you're going to get hit by that. And if I was his advisor. I would say, look, I know it's not the nicest thing to hear, but um, keep your head down, son, and just, you know, your contract's coming up, have a good year. Have a good year before your contract's coming up. Maybe so. Maybe they've actually had that conversation with him, and maybe he said, you know what, this is more important. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. We'll I have, see. I have we'll no see. idea, but I think he's a very good football player, and so I suspect his form will return at some point, and then the, this will all be forgotten, and people won't even think about this stuff so I don't know Roger this comes back to 
fans and their unrealistic expectations, as always, right? You, you expect a certain guy to play a certain way every week, week in, week out, and get better and better and better and better. I mean, <clears throat> they're all human beings. They all have periods where they're not feeling quite right or feeling up to it. And it's it then becomes, again, this social media circus that feeds on itself. So, you know, back in the day, you, you could have a few weeks off form. And it was only the fans in the ground that, that knew about it, right? It wasn't something that you fans from other clubs would pile on and, as you say, throw memes in. And, and it didn't become a, a, a national problem. It became a club problem. And, and that was much easier to deal with. You know, you, you, you drop them for a few weeks or you pretend they're injured for a few weeks, let them, quote, unquote, recover and bring it back again. It was, it was much easier. But, you know, social media, as you know, I'm no great fan of social media. I think it has an awful lot to answer for and, and to this generation in particular. And uh, I, I don't know if it's going to get worse before it gets better, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, let's move on to, I think, the continuing um, obvious on goal to to um, what's happening. And it is all also about sport. Um the, the reaction to the last goal and, and what you how you explained what was happening in Russia and the Ukraine uh, went down extremely well, extremely well. Uh, and this isn't about, you know, um, anything about how we tried to bring it back to sport, how we tried to bring it back to the valuation of sports assets, uh, the interest rates going up or not, um, inflation, deflation. Uh, so I'd, I'd like to continue on that a little bit because... Um, since then, you've obviously been in the middle of all of this debate, rightly so. Some some of the most important things that have come out in the last week or two have been uh, with you and your podcasts. I'm referring particularly to the one of Luke Groman that you put out also um, um, this side of the paywall so everybody could see it. What, what I want to ask you is something I've noted down from everything I've been reading about. Some A couple of quotes, Grant. Um, the rules have all changed. Nothing will be the same again. We have now entered the age of chaos. Um, so in, in the terms of, you know, uh, how dominoes fall, you sanction them, you push them out of the monetary system, they are forced to go somewhere else. Can I ask you, in, in however long, plenty of time if you want, however long or short you want, what do you think this means for, I think, something that's incredibly important for this industry, uh, valuations of sports assets, uh, from clubs, franchises, uh, sport tech, um, to uh, projects that, that that are based on things that we said the last time, like cost of capital and interest rates. Do you really believe that we are now entered an age of chaos? And what does it mean for people that operate in the sports business? Uh, yeah, look, I, I do think we've entered an age of chaos. Now, I don't know how long that age goes on for. You know, there is still a chance that certainly with reference to the Russia-Ukraine situation, somehow, somewhere, some adults get in a room and de-escalate the situation. It's not the most likely outcome, but it's obviously the outcome we all hope for. But whatever happens from here, Rog, the events of the last couple of weeks, and particularly with reference to the, the way the sanctions have been applied to Russia, will change everything going forward. You know, this is, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a piece right now called The End of the Financial World as We Know It. And... Um, no, this give is, us a sneak this, peek a little bit for my is, audience. Well, that's, it's a that's, different that's, audience. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm about to do. I mean, it's 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 changed everything. If you look at what the West did now, when Putin went into Ukraine, I think his calculus was that the West 
because of the grip he has on the West through the oil pipelines, natural gas pipelines, he didn't think that the West would have the balls to cut him out of SWIFT. He didn't think they'd have the balls to cut off his natural gas going into um, Europe. And, and that, to be clear, brings 300 billion euros of revenue a day into Russia. You know, it's a lot of money. And he was right. He was right. When he went in, they explicitly backed away from taking those steps. They said they weren't going to cut Russian banks out of SWIFT. They said they were going to let the oil flow, natural gas flow. So his initial calculus was right. The backlash against the West for not taking those steps in their own self-interest was such that they they obviously felt compelled to do that. And you'll, you'll notice that once the SWIFT sanctions came into place, then after that, the sanctions started to, to pile up like you know, unwanted refuse because they started with the most draconian sanction first. So everything else was just piling on top. It didn't really matter. Normally you'd escalate up to the point of cutting people out of SWIFT. Once they'd done that, once they'd cut them out of SWIFT, the Russian banks, um, with 30 days notice originally, I might add, which is just their way of throwing a bone Putin's way and not being complete hard asses. And again, that caught enough flack that they, they walked back on that as well. But most importantly, they sanctioned the Russian central bank. And I don't want to get too arcane here because there are people that won't either be that interested or won't really understand what I'm talking about. But the, sanctioning the Russian Central Bank and their foreign exchange reserves is a big, big, big deal. What they basically said to the Russian Central Bank was your 650-odd billion dollars of reserves that belong to your country that you've built up through trade over the last however long are worth nothing because we've decided that you can't access them. Um, because they're in the in the dollar system so by doing that what they've effectively said is you can save up all the cash you want but if we if you are deemed a bad actor by the united states who then cut you out of the swift system and and sanction your central bank you're broke you're flat broke now the russians had um, been winding down their u.s treasury positions to effectively zero they managed to get rid of all of those and they've been building up their gold allocation they have a significant amount of gold on their balance sheet. And gold, unlike the dollar, is is nobody's liability. It's just it's a it's a neutral reserve asset. It is money good with anybody in the world. Once the sanctions came in place, a lot of that gold was stored outside Russia. Uh, actually, not a lot of it. Some of it they'd repatriate most of it and kept most of it in Russia. But they also started sanctioning, saying that anyone who traded Russian gold with them was also in violation of the sanctions. So. You basically have some of the world telling a central bank, because they're a bad actor, that they cannot transact anything with the outside world. Now, gold is different to the dollar. It doesn't have to go through payment systems. You can literally put it on a transport plane and send it to the country you want to deal with. So what this is going to do, Rog, is is drive Mm. every central bank in the world to buy a boatload more gold. It is going to incentivize countries to find a way, particularly energy producers, to find a way to transact and sell their main export in currencies other than the dollar with people they trust and have a bilateral agreement with that, that, you know, right now, if Russia uh, sells oil to Europe, they do the thing in dollars. They don't do it in euros. So uh, even though the EU and the Russians might have a handshake agreement that we, all right, fine, you you invade Ukraine, we won't change the deal with the oil. The United States can freeze them and make that decision for them. So the the decisions that have been made by our sanctions have essentially 
weaponized the dollar. They have made it actually important for central banks to diversify themselves out of US dollars and into not other currencies necessarily because they all have a similar kind of weakness, but into physical gold that they can use to trade with countries. Um, and what this may do is have the Russians say, right, well, we're not going to sell oil for, for dollars. We're going to sell oil to the Chinese for yuan, or we're going to sell oil to anybody for gold. We will only accept gold for our oil and gas. And again, what that does, it means the countries that want to trade with Russia and want to own Russian gold, and you know, it's, it's 4 million barrels a day, roughly. Anyone that wants to do that is going to have to sell the dollars they hold in reserves already and buy gold with it to give the Russians for their oil. So there's a massive shift here, mm-hmm. a massive shift that changes the structure of the financial system. Not necessarily right now, because everyone's still like rabbit in the headlights, but it's that quiet, once the drama's settled down, everybody's eyeing each other, looking at you know who's going to try and slide out the door first, because they know there's only so many cabs outside. There is only so many cabs outside if the cab is a gold bar. And so um, most central banks will be thinking about doing this right now. They might not want to be seen to be doing it because it looks a little crass to be worrying about that while this is all going on. But the reality is, unless you unless you diversify out of US dollars and into gold, you put yourself in a position where at the whim of a president, a current or future US president, who doesn't like an action that you uh, may take, can decide to shut your economy down. And And look, that's not to say that Putin doesn't deserve this for his actions. And it's not to say that America hasn't had this power for some considerable amount of time. They have. But now they've used it. Now you can't pretend they wouldn't yeah. use it. And so that's the big difference here is, is if you are disaster planning, you now know what your ultimate disaster you have to plan for is. And if you're not planning for it, they're more full you. So, yeah, Roger, I mean, this goes way, way, way beyond sport. And it's, yeah, I know it's, that. But it's let's, a major let's, structural let's, shift. Let, 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 let me give me the, the other side of that, which is, um, yeah, they've done that, but the Americans will win. The dollar is still super powerful. Uh, Russia will run out of money. Um, they will either collapse or they'll have to sell their gold to finance everything. Um, and everything will come back as it was before. Um there, there is an argument. Well, they don't, they don't have, they don't have to sell their godwits. They have to sell their oil. Right. Okay. Um, but if they can't sell their oil, if China, well, let's not get into the whole thing. If China doesn't buy them, then it's game over for Russia. And then, what, what I'm trying to get to, Grant, is the status quo of the last twenty years of low cost of capital, low interest rates, um, plentiful capital uh, for sport tech, for people to invest in sports franchises and everything like that. What you described would suggest that we're at the end of that. Um, yeah, what I'm tr- what I'm trying to say is that there is a scenario that uh, America wins, the dollar wins, um, the the status quo is maintained, and valuations uh, are kept high. You know, for the last couple of weeks, we've seen Nasdaq. We've seen the markets and we've seen the tech stocks all come off significantly. Um, what is your reading? And, and at this point, you have to say none of this is financial advice. Uh, seek your own financial advisor. But if you're a betting man, where do you think the markets and interest rates and inflation are all going in the next couple of months? Well, Roger, let me just get a clarification when you say the US wins. What does that look like? What does the US winning look like? 
What, what it looks like is that um, Russia can't get revenue from its oil for one way, reason or another. Um, and, and a lot of it comes down to China's position. Uh, it means that they run out uh, of liquidity very, very quickly. In desperation, the only asset they've got that is liquid is to sell their gold reserves. That those reserves are sold. Gold doesn't go up, as you suggest, but actually goes significantly down. The The Americans turn around and say, you see, there is only one reserve currency in the world. It's not called crypto. It's not called gold. It's the mighty Uncle Sam US dollar. Right, but, but the, that was the point I was just making, is that, that that could be a short-term way this plays out. But at that point, this is what I was talking about when the dust clears, right? Every central bank in the world who's sitting there with dollars in their bank account is looking at what just happened to Russia, uh, i.e. they were forced to sell their gold, they were forced out of this, forced out of that, and they say, right, we need to get out of these dollars. So the United States, quote-unquote, winning, arguably seals the fate of the dollar watch. And yes, there might be a short-term spike. It's, it's quite possible. But ultimately, so you say either way, they got the dollar hegemonies on its way out after they've they've played this. No, it's been on its way out. Card. It's been on its way out. It's been on its way out for some time, right? The the, the post Bretton Woods system is creaking under the extraordinary amount of debt that's been built up in the system because of all the dynamics you just talked about. You know, low cost of capital, free money, printed money. You know, the U.S. and, and the podcast I, I did this week with Luke Groman, we talked about this. You know, the, the U.S. has over a hundred trillion dollars in entitlements due. Which the only way they can entitlements is pensions and pensions, Medicaid, Medicare, and health. social security, all that stuff. The only way they can meet those obligations, well, they've got two ways: they can they can default on them, or they can print the money. So one way or another, there is a, a an ocean of dollar liquidity that's going to flood into um, the world, which will devalue um, every other dollar that already exists. So this is coming one way or another, Roch. Uh, the question is. And it always has been the timing of it, right? The, the day the dollar became the world's reserve currency, the clock started until it wasn't anymore. I mean, it's had, if you look back through history, reserve currencies have tended to last 40 years or so, right? That generally has been yeah, going, yeah, yeah. going back centuries, right? You know, the Portuguese Escudo was, was, was the world's reserve currency at one point, right? So it was only ever a matter of time. This one's managed to last longer purely because of this experimentation with zero cost of capital negative interest rates but that now is going to be put to the sword by inflation and all the things we just talked about america printing a load more money all of those are wildly inflationary so you know china's now locking down shenzhen um the fourth busiest port in the world and uh i, f I forget how many 17 million people i think there's a total lockdown in shenzhen there goes more stress on the supply chain which means more increased prices. Why are they locking down Shenzhen? Lines. Why are they locking them down? It's a coronavirus outbreak. Oh, shit. This bike. In, in China, yes. It was seven, 17 million people, full lockdown, announced overnight. So, uh, you know, here in Australia, I went to fill up my rental car before I took it back to the airport, and the first two gas stations I went to had no petrol in them, which is unusual. The third one, uh, the prices of gasoline in australia between the first of january and the first of march are up 30 percent you know in a country as big as australia that's unthinkable you know in in, in the u.s there are there, there are places in california with seven dollar a gallon gasoline which is still much cheaper than europe I'm, yeah yeah but for americans, out, but for americans 
it, it's unthinkable. Um, yeah. And this inflationary pressure will force something to be done. It will force interest rates higher, whether the, whether the Federal Reserve does it or the markets do it. And at that point, it becomes a battle by the powers that be to try and rein in interest rates because, um, uh, you, you know, as we, as we talked about in that previous podcast, the whole world is, is built, the foundation of all this prosperity of the last 40 years is on declining interest rates. And now, particularly coming back to sport eventually, sorry about the long language, wander around places where you need to go um coming back to sport sport in the last 10 years has been absolutely constructed because of zero cost of capital all the private equity money that's coming into sport um is based on the fact that they can borrow it for nothing Uh, they can roll it over for nothing um and that will go on forever and that is not only going to change it's going to change quite dramatically quite quickly and so you're suddenly going to see a lot of people roger i think scrambling to find funding um scrambling to roll over debt scrambling to sell assets to to meet margin calls in other areas i i I think we are we are going to transition from you know the golden age of investment in sport to why the hell are we owning all these these trophy assets almost overnight i think it's going to i think it's going to be quite shocking for people well, let, let, let's hope that that isn't the case. But, you know, I think one of the reasons, you know, I, I, I'm absolutely certain this podcast is the first one that put the whole thing about cost of capital as a as a factor and what it could do to sport um, on the table. A good few months ago, if not years ago, and, and us having you here gives us an, as an advantage. Having said that, Grant, there are people that are very smart people and, and your mates, Rosenberg, who still believe in deflation and that it won't be inflationary. You know, so just to say that, that, that there are very smart people who think it will go a different way. Yeah, look, it, Roger, it might do, right? It might do. We don't know. But, um, and, and certainly if you look over time, deflation is absolutely the winner over time. The 70s was the only real meaningful inflation spike that we've seen in the last, you know, 80 years. If you look at that, that chart of bonds, you'll see there's one spike in the 70s where rates went screaming up to combat inflation. But it doesn't need to be an ongoing problem, inflation. It just needs to be a spike, right? You just need to have a decade of inflation, which unfortunately in and the bigger picture changes. meets it meets the, the definition of transitory. If it's only a decade, well, you know, <laughs> in the scheme of a century, it's transitory. Uh, and that's all it needs. And, and because everything is so fragile and so predicated upon these rates staying low forever, if Rosie's right in the long term and wrong in the short term, which he, he very well might be, it's game over. You know, if rates go to, look, we, we've got, we had an inflation print of what, 7, 7.9% this last week in the US? It's, lo- it's a lot more than that. that that's official numbers. In, in, in yeah. Europe and Italy, look, like input prices are up 48% year on year. I mean, it's you ridiculous. Know, it's, it's incredible. You can't, it's incredible. You, you can't ignore this anymore. And, the reason it's a problem is we, we've reached the stage where people will be writing to their MPs, to their congressmen, complaining that they can't afford to feed their families, they can't afford to gas their car and go to work. It becomes a political problem. And so, you know, if you are a politician and you have a problem to solve, which ultimately impacts the number of votes you get and your ability to stay in power, you deal with that problem. And so, what's the what's the casualty of dealing with that problem and putting rates up and and trying to break inflation it's asset prices 
bingo. And the reality is, Raj, there's no, there's no other way to look at it. The reality is the people who should pay their part in this to try and readjust the balance are the owners of assets because those assets have gone up to ludicrous levels based on this interest rate policy, which has been wildly incorrect and has had wildly, wildly negative real interest rates for way too long. If you've, if you've paid $5 billion for a sports franchise and it went up to $8 billion and you have to give $3 billion back, well, you know what? Okay. Because it wasn't worth $5 billion in the first place. It was only worth $3 billion. You paid five for it because you could borrow the money. You know, there's only one way this gets redressed, and that is to take the asset prices, which is where all the inflation has been, and give that money back to the man in the street via higher interest rates on their savings, via lowering prices at the petrol pump, lowering prices in grocery stores. It's the only fair transition, Rog. And well, you, it, say, well, you say fair, Grant, but interest rates hit credit card bills, hit mortgages. They do, they do. But ultimately, so, ultimately, Rog, people need to feed their families, first and foremost. They need so to, be get, the, they need to be able food, get to work. It's food, food, and it's food and energy, key. of course it is. It's always food and energy. Yeah. Two, you know, food, shelter and energy are the three basic needs. And all three of them are going through the roof. So if you, if you want to make this good for, the, for the, the broadest demographic, you bring down the prices of food, energy and shelter. It's that simple. Uh, food and that's is going to be rates. difficult because of because of um, fertilizer shortages, and obviously with the Ukraine, it's a Russia massive again. grain exporter. Yeah. Yep. And and you know, there's already clips of uh, of Biden on on social media blaming Putin for the inflation, which is utterly absurd. 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 Um, you've got Nancy Pelosi on social media saying that the American government spending actually reduces the debt, which is beyond absurd the sad thing is she it's, probably even believes it's it play school yeah it's play school yeah stuff. i mean look you, ultimately you need to make sure people can feed their families you need to make sure they can fill up their car and you need to make sure they've got a roof over their head so how do you do that right well by raising interest rates you know what you do you squash the housing market you you've realized that a lot of people can't roll over their debt you realize people can't get mortgages they can afford and so prices have to fall to compensate for that we're a long way from from any kind of equilibrium but it's a start you know you bring petrol prices down you you could in the short term cut duty on gasoline right which is a massive part of the price of gas but by doing that you you lower government receipts which again is is another problem so whichever way you look at it rog there are problems here that are intractable yeah exactly right so listen, let, let, let me bring this all of this to a very specific example, which is Chelsea Football Club. Now, I, I'd like to start, first of all, with what I think is a major issue, um, and it is linked to investment, and it is linked to capital markets, which um, is, is uh, flippantly or blatantly or blandly called the rule of law. Um, I think what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is as you called it earlier, once somebody decides who a bad actor is, no courts are needed, no due process is needed, um, all of a sudden your assets are confiscated. Now, this isn't me um, defending Abramovich or saying it shouldn't happen. This is me going beyond the specific here and putting down what an appallingly bad precedent this is. Um, this is somebody just saying, got not been accused of anything because he hangs out with the wrong guy. 
or is seen to be have been a mate of this guy for many years. By the way, this has all been known for at least two decades. You know, so when one morning people change their mind, they no longer think they require the rule of law to take assets off of somebody. And in the case of Chelsea Football Club, they can't operate. They have that this football club, and let's go back to it not being a business piece of the fabric of society, all of this stuff that I always have an issue with a little bit, they have basically cut off the arms and legs of a piece of West London society. How the fuck do they think that is defendable, Grant? Am I missing something here? No, you... you, you well, I think the mistake you're making, Rog, is that you, you think there's, there's a reason they have to defend it. They don't. Who are they defending it against? Chelsea fans? I don't think they give a toss about Chelsea fans. Well, no, I'll tell you who they have to. I'll tell you who they have to defend it about. The the reason capital invests in places is because they've got a a confidence in the the rights of property and the rule of law and the rule of contract. If the West, which has been the beneficiary of this, all of a sudden decides that that isn't needed anymore, that also is going to stop. Well, Rog, hang on a second, hang on a second, hang on a second. Hang on a second. One of the, in fact, the first um, major Western country to walk out of Russia was BP. Uh, BP walked away from their stake in Rosneft, the big Russian oil producer. Yeah. Um, probably, I think, twenty-five billion was the was the number put on that, knowing that they'll never get a cent for it. Right? They've just left it there. They have to write that off. Twenty-five billion dollars. Um, but they had that investment, knowing full well that there is no property rights in Russia. There is no rule of law in Russia. Right? So, so yeah. the argument you're making. Will will work both ways if it has to, right? If capital is looking for a home, there will be people, for reasons various, some of them will be spurious, some of them not, who will hold their nose and invest in a place where there is no rule of law. So I, I think this idea that, well, because of that, no one's going to come and invest in in the British. But it was our advantage is, in the West, Grant. I, I don't disagree. I, no, I don't. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. And I think the point you're making is absolutely spot on, Rog. You know, and, it, and it's not being apologist for Abramovich. This is, and this is one of the big problems, right? People look at this and go, "Well, he's Abramovich, so we're perfectly within our rights to do that." Anything goes. What they don't realise is the, pre- the, the, the yeah the precedent that's being set here, and they've done the same. This is, comes back to the conversation about the Russian central bank. Is you know what it well, look look at, look at Canada look at the truckers protest in Canada right they had exactly. this big convoy going to Ottawa the first step was that GoFundMe who had been taking donations for the Canadian truckers said we are going we are not going to allow you to donate money to the Canadian truckers and what's more we are going to take the money that's already been donated and we are going to give that to the charities of our choice that was the first move they made yeah. right which is which is utterly disgusting. Then the Canadian government decide to invoke emergency powers and they basically have gone out and said, if, if you donated money to the truckers... Now, now let's, let's pose a situation here. Let's say that your uncle is one of the truckers who is going there to protest his rights, uh, going to the capital, and you send him 50 quid. He's your uncle, right? And, you know, he, yeah. he needs to eat and... Uh, if you've done that, if you've sent money to truckers, we will find you and we will basically close your bank account. 
We will yeah. confiscate your assets and close your bank account. This is my point. This no, is exactly, a very but, thin but, end. That's why I want to make sure people are aware of this because it's received very little coverage in most media, what Canada have done. I wonder why. And Roman Abramovich is, in many ways, the poster child for the guy who is sending money to his uncle who's a trucker, right? He is a, he is a guy who has owned this asset in the free and clear, has never hidden his association with Putin. Uh, there's always been whispers about, oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's on the Putin payroll. None of this is new news. It just so happens that it. now we've decided now is the time to take his assets away. And there are plenty of people cheering that. And you can argue the rights and wrongs that all day long. It's not, that's not a, a, an no, argument for this be podcast. It, Grant. It's not about but the specific. It's not it's, about the specific. Exactly right. It is the precedent that this sets. And it's shocking. everybody should be worried that if you happen to be a friend of the wrong guy, they can take your money away. Now, people will argue, well, hang on a second. He's not just a friend of the wrong guy. He bankrolls Putin. He got rich because of Putin. Okay, maybe. But they've just shut the taps off first, and then they'll argue about this later. And that's what no, will happen no with rule everybody. Of law. They will shut no your bank process. account. They will freeze your assets. And then afterwards, it's your job to try and convince them that you're going to have it back. And if you think they're, you're going to ring a number and get an appointment with a guy and sit down and explain it to him, and he's going, to, okay, fine, here we go, right, you're... Forget it. It's not how it happens. The world has fundamentally changed for people who think the Russia-Ukraine thing has got nothing to do with them. The world this has is, fundamentally this is, this changed. This is exactly what I wanted to get to, and I'll give you these two quotes at the start. And I want people to understand that and continue with sport, um, which, sadly, as is always the case... Most of the commentary is 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 wrong in this, and it's first level thinking. You know, I can find no case. Well, the first one is the one about the rule of law. We spent five minutes on. I think that is an easy debate to win, because for the reasons you just said. The second one, if you were in the debating chamber, you would say, okay, so who is going to be the arbiter? of moral um, rectitude these days now. Um, yesterday, Saudi beheaded 81 people. Um, so tomorrow, um, I guess Newcastle is gone as well. I, I guess it's gone as well. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, no, it's not. Who makes that decision? Um, is it the Football League, the EPL? Um, are they being pressured by the government? And you enter into a world of pain, Grant. See when you have got... Of course you do. See, when you've got sports organisations, which at the end of the day are meant to be simple beasts, uh, making value judgments about who gets what. Uh, and I know this, um, the scars on my back, because I did it on a silly thing about, um, you know, who gets a minute's silence when they die. You know, because not everybody, not every player gets one. Um, and when you give it to somebody and you don't give it to the next guy, you, you get slaughtered. You know, justify why you did that. And you've got no answer, you, you, because you are not the arbiter of absolute right and wrong. And, and, and that's a simple, silly one, but I can tell you we get enormous heat over that. I can see no way that the EPL, and, and by the way, sport always does what sport does and makes Chelsea play Newcastle today. Um, I can see no way that EPL can stop now at Chelsea. Um, you know, before before this, they had three, four months of. Do you know what I mean, Grant? I I, I don't. They you, have right, opened Roger, you're, a Pandora's you're right. box. No, no, you're right, except for the all important part of this, right? And that is the football, 
they'll, they'll be hiding under their hiding behind their couches, hoping that the crowd doesn't start pressuring them to cut the Saudis out. Right? They'll hope it. They, they won't choose to do it. They will sit quietly and go, "I think have we got away with it? Have we got away with it? Of course, have, have they, have they not right. noticed yet? If the pressure ramps up, they will cave." They will cave. And if the pressure comes up on Saudi and these 81 executions becomes a thing, and oh, by the way, with Russian oil off the global table, Saudi oil becomes more important. So the chance of anyone crossing the Saudis right now is low. So they might have yeah. to push back if, if the backlash starts on Saudis. But none of these organizations, Rog, are going to proactively choose, okay, we are going to sever all ties with anyone who's remotely, quote unquote, dodgy here. They're not going to do it. They're not going to. They are going to hide. So, and so, hope so they, lo- the they lose credibility. They lose credibility. They lose gravitas. Who's eyes? eyes? In our eyes, in, in, Rog, in the, in Rog, it, uh. they don't care about you and me. The fans are still going to watch the Premier League, right? Newcastle fans are still going to go. Chelsea fans are still chanting Roman Abramovich's I, I, name. I just like intellectual coherence, and I, and You're I, never you know, get I it. hate. You are never going to get it. <laughs> You're the guy who's always sit, talked about the, the, the average football fan like this. And, and on the I, one I, hand, I know, you don't, I know. on the other hand, you want intellectual equivalence? Well, from, from the leaders, yes. I think there's a big difference there. You're from never the fans. There's too much money at well, stake. There's too well, much money okay, at well, stake. And they let's know. Just Roger, say, Roger, let me let's finish. just and say they this know, then. They know, and they know that if they don't give moral equivalence, the fans aren't going to care. What about sponsors? Uh, that's another matter. That is another matter. Well, but, well you see what, no, 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 you see no, what no, I'm no, saying? The right. Pandora's no, you're box. Right. You're right. But guess what? Get, guess where you will find sponsors, right? There, there will be people, the Saudis are going, right, we'll, we'll, we'll put our own name on the shirt. We'll put the Saudi, we'll put Visit Saudi Arabia on the Newcastle shirt and we'll pay them a couple hundred million bucks a year sponsorship fees. Okay, well, let, 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 let's take through the intellectual coherence here. Like I said, Chelsea, um, 81 beheadings, so I'm going after Saudi. No, Rog, um, just, just I, so that, not, that, that was, wait, uh, that was Saudi Arabia, not Chelsea, 81 beheadings. Well, just, it could just be so, these I just days. don't want, listen, I don't want that to be the soundbite that people take away. I didn't read that right, Chelsea. Okay. <laughs> right, so uh, Chelsea, Saudi, let's have a wee look at Qatar deaths in the stadium construction again and women's rights. Yeah, we're going to go to the World Cup. Who's the sponsor of the World Cup? Um, so you ran away from Russia on the first hour when everybody was running away, but you're sticking in on this one. So how do you value the difference between Ukrainian children in a hospital? And, I'm not and arguing me- your point. I am playing devil's well, advocate. Just, I agree with I, you. I, I agree with you 100%. Well, but all I want is for you to agree with me because, you know, I think I'm right on this. You know, everything that we've talked about in this podcast for three or four years is about how rubbish and compromised and real polity everything is. And as soon as you try and play the black, white, good, bad cards, you end up intellectually compromised. And what I've seen these last two weeks with Chelsea... With, uh, with Haas and getting rid of them and the NFL in Russia and even the old Scottish Premier League saying we're not going to show our games in Russia. I'm sure that one's hurt, uh, Vladimir. <laughs> I'm really sure that one's hurt. But do, do you know what I mean, Grant? I've, I've seen two weeks and I've read two weeks 
and you get the great and the good of the journalists and they're all feeling great and feeling really good and moral and we're after Vlad. First of all, he was there for 20 years and you said, fuck all. What were you waiting for? The big the big guy to give you the, the okay to, to, to go on to the Salem's witch hunt? Were you waiting for that because you didn't have the balls to do it yourself apart from guys like Matthew Syed? There are exceptions. Yep. But to see them all now on their moral hobby horse, for me, Grant, is nauseating. I really feel strongly about this. No, you surprised me. No, look, I, I, um, I, Roger, I agree. I absolutely agree with you 100%. The question is, um, it's the reality we have to face, and, and, and what does it mean, right? It means that this, this bandwagon is just getting rolling, right? And the longer this thing goes on in Ukraine... The more people will join it, the more calls for X, Y, and Z will broaden out, and the more industries, people will get sucked into this thing. You know, we'll, we'll, oh, there's a guy over there who's, um, you know, who, who, who once ate at a Russian restaurant. Drag him in, right? Let's, let's throw him under the bus yeah. as well. We've got, we've got yeah, to broaden yeah. this out. Uh, and, and freeze his bank happen. account. That's, that's how the mob works, right? And this has now become a mob. Because well said. This the, is a mob. The, the, we live in the age of the mob, and we live in the age of the social media-generated and fueled mob, and it just feeds upon itself. So, look, I mean, they ha- they had to do something to try and put the pressure on Putin, and, and they've done it. And in some ways, well, take, unfortunately, his, take his houses, take his yachts. Take his, well, but, yeah, but no one knows where his houses and his yachts are. Right? Look, they've got to put pressure on him. He's funded by the oligarchs. They figure if we if we and destroy the oligarchs, a, a they will club. take him out for us. Destroy a thinking, football club? No, no, it's not a football club. Because they're club destroying to them. it. The, the, Roger, this it's football not club a football will never be the club same to them. It's an asset. Period. It could be it could be a mansion in Belgravia. It's an asset. Period. Just strikes me as being a working class asset. Um, Rog, it's a, it's a, Rog, it's a super yacht that doesn't float. That's what it is to them. I, mean, I don't think it is. I think this is, well, the, the working guy won't care. Um, no. And, and I, I feel, no. I mean, like, Chelsea, okay, they, 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 were, they were never a super club. They were a nice little cool Kings Road club and never really won an awful lot. But they were Chelsea. And they, and, and, and they get kind of like blown up a little bit with, with Abramovich and became a super club, which a lot of us didn't have a lot of time for because what's that adjective proper clubs and not proper clubs? Chelsea isn't a proper club. Arsenal is. Chelsea was never. But now it is. But I tell you what, despite all of that, you cannot cripple them that means that they can't sign players that they can't renew players they can't uh, take any uh, ticket people in sell any merchandise they will go down and go down and go down and they'll end up like fucking orient athletic you're you're think you're thinking about this all wrong let let me let me let's take a very short journey right russia uh, putin bad who are putin's backers oligarchs okay name me an oligarch roman abramovich what yeah. does anyone in the world know Roman Abramovich for? Chelsea. They're the dots that they've joined, right? There's no... I get that, Grant. But 99.9% of people couldn't even tell you the name of his company that made him rich, right? But they know Chelsea. So they're not thinking, yeah, but what if this Chelsea go, you know what? Here's the highest profile thing we can do that will resonate with the most people wrong. around the world. That's wrong. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying they are not viewing Chelsea Football Club as a football club. It is a super yacht that doesn't float. 
and they're confiscating it. That's it. That's it. Man, uh, like I said, you know, those two quotes, uh, and I'll, I'll use my own one now. We are no longer in Kansas, Dorothy. I mean, we are not I, I don't anymore. think technically that's your quote. Um, I think you might I'm taking it. Judy Garland I'm taking said it. that. But uh, listen, I, I, I've always thought no, you were Judy Garland, it, it, closet it, Judy no, Garland it was, fan. It was, to, was it not towards Dorothy that, that somebody said that? Or was it her that said it? I may be wrong. I thought but she anyway, said Yeah, oh. Wizard of Oz. And, and interestingly, Wizard of Oz, by many, seen as a metaphor parody for the gold standard, just to like put a You're circle right. all Frank around It was Frank L. Baum who wrote it. It, it, it's, yes, exactly right. The yellow brick road is gold. And you, the, you didn't think I knew that, did you? Well, the ruby slippers were actually silver in the original book. They made them ruby slippers in the film because they had this new technicolor thing and they thought they would look brighter as, as ruby. They were silver in the book. So, yes, it was an allegory of, of gold and silver, the gold standard. But anyone who wants to go down that rabbit hole, <laughs> just Google Wizard of Oz gold standard and have at it. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, fin let's finish with um, something a lot, lot lighter because... Um, as we can all tell, um, I'm, I've not had a great couple of weeks. Um, not not for, it's just I, I can't stand some of the stuff I'm hearing. Uh, and it's just, there's precedents been set that are extremely frightening, that are being passed over as the right decision now, but the principle of them is utterly, utterly terrifying. So I'm not, I'm not in a good place. But I want to end with two examples of sport. Um, Steph Curry, I don't know whether you saw Steph ah, Curry. Ah, fantastic. Uh, yeah, I did, I did. Uh, and the wee girl that um, turned up and he didn't play. And then when he did play, he went to see her. And, you know, what was her reaction like, Grant? She couldn't speak. Oh, she couldn't speak. She, she couldn't look at him. She, she couldn't, couldn't look speak. at him. It was, it was it, 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 it was just the most amazing. Th she, she was literally overwhelmed. The word yeah. is all, overwhelmed with emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Overwhelmed, and he was and, and fantastic had, with her. He was absolutely he was fantastic. fantastic. He kept with her. going. He could have walked away because she was giving him nothing because she was overwhelmed. But he kept you know, give us a smile, give us a smile. Then she came out with this big, beautiful smile, and it was just it was it was a beautiful moment. And then, of course, slightly different, but the same theme. Brooks Kepka, with the uh, the young boy that's I think it's cancer or leukemia or something like that. And and you know this boy, how nice a kid was that boy. You know, he really um, was. He really was a wonderful kid. And the way he yeah. behaved himself, held yeah. himself, didn't say too much. You know, Brooke was giving him a lot of space and letting him speak, and he never spoke out a turn. Respectful all the way. Brooks kind of like dealt with him beautifully, and 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 you know, I've always liked Brooks Kepka. I don't know. I don't know why, but there he just went up a million percent for me. I'll, t I'll tell you and, why. And those, I'll tell you why you like him, Rog. He's authentic, right? He's authentic. Brooks Kepka, you, you just know that if you went and had a beer with Brooks Kepka, he'd be the same guy you see being interviewed on the course, goofing around with his buddies. He'd be the same guy. He doesn't feel so, like a media personality. So if I, if, if, well, if, if I'm to push you on that, you would say then that the whole beef with Bryson was not fake. It, it was real. I, I, I don't think so. I, th I think, I think they, they smoothed it over because someone got in his ear and said, listen, just for the good of the sport, you need to just wind this in a bit. But I, I don't think that was fake. I don't think that was fake at all. No, I, I can agree with you. I'm glad, I'm glad you say that. I do like Brooks. I think he's, um, he's something about him. I just, somebody you want to hang out about. But coming back, you know, again, to finish it with New York. So I'm out there with, um, with the Aussies and you're in Australia. So um, 
I know you love Australia. I've never been there, but I've had a lot of exposure to them. So we're out there in New York with the, the guys from Aura, and, and there's four of them. And and they're Australians, Grant. They're, I mean, like, I don't know any other way to say it. they're Australians. So like one night we go to this uh, after dinner and everything, and we go to this bar, classic bar that you see in these films in America, you know, where somebody's had a bad day and they, they end up in the bar drowning their sorrows and it's a long bar and there's the bartender and it's dark, it's really dark. So we're in this bar and, and, and it was like that. And it was uh, and we're joined by a uh, shout out to James Tree from IMG, who's done so, so well. And um, he was there with us. He made six. So we had three teams of two for the pool table and um, teams were drawn. And uh, I was drawn in the team with the, the best player. Um, and, and we continued to win, you know, winner stays on, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, the old, and, the old and, classic, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um uh, and I started to play quite well as well, but the sledging I got, Grant, I mean, like <laughs> this other team, the other two, you know, Ant Arena, the, the founder of Aura, was a really good basketball player. And, the, and the, the CFO was a pro basketball player, really tall. So these are competitors. You know, they, they fucking, like, we're, we're at one o'clock in the morning in New York in this bar and it's a crappy pool table and everything like that, but it's on. Do you know what I mean? The game is on, Grant. And they yeah. start fucking sledging me. You know, like, do you need a rest for that shot, Roger? You know, it's a wee pool table. And, yeah. you know, when the ball's <laughs> in the middle of the table, you yeah. need a rest, son. You know, like, keep, a, keep your foot on the table. You know, like, it was, when you, th- when you think about, all this stuff it was all of that kind of stuff and um so but we 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 kept on all the time the last game i started to come into my own a wee bit and the last three balls i I, I knocked in and the fourth one is the black it was right in any way i put the black in but the white also went in off which i should have avoided but it went in off and we lost the game so that was the last game of the night and we're walking back to the hotel and these two are at me all right so you're like a regular season player aren't you (laughs) Aren't you Scots? You know, like you know, you're 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 Mister Big Man when it's the regular season, but when it's the playoffs, you choker, you fucking choker, and like it went on and on and on. Next morning we get up, you know, how you do? Good morning, did everybody sleep well? You're a fucking choker. The first thing, and I'm thinking, bloody Aussies. Yeah, you gotta love them. You gotta love them. Well, listen, Rog. Talking of which, talking of which, we cannot end. Um, this edition of Goal on Goal without a word about Shane Warne, um, you know, who sadly passed away between we're us recording our last uh, our last Goal on Goal on this one. You know, I, I happened to be down in Melbourne um, in those days after yes. he passed, and you know, the, the statue of Shane Warne at, at Melbourne Cricket Ground, it, it was just beautiful. You know, people leaving bottles of VB for Be- him and, and notes, and just you know, it, it, it's it's been fascinating to to watch the outpouring of emotion appreciation about Shane Warne you know here was a guy who was truly one of the very best at his craft and not only was he the very best at his craft um he was that bloke right he was a he was a proper Aussie but I met him once I bumped into him in the street in Sydney not, not long after I moved here and I was on my way to the station and he was just standing in a doorway smoking a cigarette uh, and I, I crossed the road, and I, as I crossed the road, he was standing right in front. I couldn't help but notice him. And you have that moment where you see someone famous, and you know them so well, you expect them to know you because you know. Like, how can I know <laughs> so so there's this moment where he just looked at me, and I looked at him, expecting him to go, "Hi, Grant." Uh, and, <laughs> and he and did, he, and he just no, no, he just gave me a blank look. So I just, I just I put my hand out and said, 
yeah, good day, Shane. And you know, oh yeah, and he, I had a chat with him for a couple of minutes, and he was, and by then a few more people had spotted him and came and stood around. And I had to go and get a train, but he uh, he just stood there chatting with people. He he could not have been nicer. Could not have been nicer. And and to hear the the the, the outpouring of appreciation and and affection for him, not just from Aussies and from cricket fans, but you know the English. Um, the the, the oh, Barmy yeah. Army used to sing, you know, we wish you were, we wish you were an Englishman. Um, oh, yeah. He was just that guy who united everybody in the world of cricket, not just through his talent, but through his personality. He he, he just was the life and soul of every party. He was he, he, the original. Exactly what you see on the field is what he is off the field, <laughs> and you know, just a, 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 a tremendous loss for him to for him to pass away so suddenly at fifty two. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like you and I have to. Uh, n- to doff our caps to to the legendary Shane Walt. No, we, we we do, and and I know you've had COVID grants, so you probably haven't done anything. But the captain Giles did a, a lovely piece before the Jeremy Darrick uh, podcast. Yes, um, which which I, I don't have a, a lot to add to, uh, apart from saying we should also remember Rod Marsh. But I do love Australia. I do love the Aussies. You know, I don't know whether it's a nostalgia thing, and it's a they are. The, the way you should be, I started this whole thing of talking about competition and I believe competition is the way that you improve and I think the Aussies have got that you know, like, they're they are not playing to just to turn up in anything and um, it's, uh, one day hopefully I'll get down there, that would be nice Yeah, I think you'd, I think you'd, I think you'd enjoy it down there Roger, I have to say, although not now because the weather's been absolutely <laughs> awful but that's just uh, that's the luck of the draw. Well, anyway, look, that's it, I guess, Rog. Uh, yeah. The end of another uh, the end of another goal on goal. Uh, thanks to uh, to you for listening. As I say, it would just be me and Rog talking to each other, and we do enough of that, so I don't think we need to do that uh, if no one's listening to us. So um, if you're not following us already, please do so. That's very easy. You'll find us on Twitter at entertained r. That's the word a r e. You'll find me on Twitter at t t m y g h. And you'll find myself at rpm como as in the lake. As in the lake. Until next time, mate. Take care now, recover fully, yeah? Get back. <laughs> <laughs>